must have been so scary. Like I was reading, you know, becoming, you were very, very close to paralysis, wasn't it? And the surgeon was like, you probably won't play sport. The first couple of days were horrendous in terms of like mindset. They were very, very bad. But, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting upset. <laughs> you know, they were completely helpless. They were relying on Cork and Cora, I suppose, to keep them updated um, as much as possible. Um, and I suppose, yeah, that was probably just a massive guilt that I had because I had assured them going over, I'd be fine, like, you know, yeah. it's just a variation of football, I'd be great. <laughs> and, um, you know, I suppose that was probably something that I found very hard the first couple of days was um, just, I suppose, the guilt, the guilt for them. Yes. Yeah. So it was difficult. When the injury happened, that you were in the best possible place to make a good recovery out of it because you were in the professional setting. 100% and also I was in an Australian setting and like I have never come across a healthcare system like the Australian healthcare no. system and like I said earlier you know my relationship with mistakes and making mistakes it's okay to make mistakes and just I suppose to learn from them so um, yeah they'd be my three pieces of, of thing I suppose the two most important ones definitely is to always trust your gut and to always believe that there are better days ahead. This week I was delighted to welcome Breedstack onto The Inspired. Breed has won 11 All-Irelands and 7 All-Stars with Cork Ladies Football. After retiring, inverted commas, <laughs> she decided to move her family, including her little boy, Gorok Og, to Australia to play AFL professionally with the Giants in Sydney. She is also a teacher and runs a sports and health supplements business, MyCore Supplements in Cork, just in case she didn't have enough to be doing. <laughs> this is a real, honest conversation around taking risks, following your gut and backing yourself when it comes to stepping outside your comfort zone. I want to thank Breed for being so vulnerable in sharing her experiences with us. She shares the experience of breaking her neck, becoming millimetres from paralysis and the recovery she went through to get back playing the following year. And you can tell by the emotion in this podcast just how challenging the last couple of years have been for her. She really is one of the most inspiring and funny people I've come in contact with. She talks about her own biggest role model, that is her mother, and how straightening her hair with an iron and ironing board back in the day may not have been her smartest move ever. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Breed as much as I did. I'm Ashling Vaughan and you are most welcome to The Inspired. Okay, so Breed Stack. Welcome to the Inspired Girl. How are you this morning? I'm good, Ash. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, yeah, so delighted to be on. Um, I've been following you now with, I don't know how many years, but um, just love your enthusiasm, love your honesty, and yeah, just delighted to be on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Thanks so much. Do you remember how we first actually got in contact? I was thinking of this the other day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I suppose the news broke that I was going to Australia and you were straight on. Um, I suppose I didn't know you. You didn't know me, but you sent me the most lovely voice note. And um, yeah, from there, I suppose we've been voice noting the whole time. So, um, yeah, it's very, very easy to chat to. Um, so, yeah, uh, thanks so much for reaching out. Not at all, because I remember when I was in the car, I was driving somewhere and I heard your interview. I think it was on Red FM or one of those and that you are going to Australia playing AFLW and bring your family over and I was like crikey what what a task <laughs> I was yeah. like if I could help her in any way now with a bit of accommodation or knowing a few over or whatever it's just <laughs> yeah oh sure it was madness like I suppose yeah like um yeah it could come across as silly to a lot of people but um I suppose look it was an opportunity that I saw that definitely doesn't come around too often and definitely doesn't come around for someone that is probably 
uh, 10 years past the average age of the of the people that are going over. So, um, you know, it was an opportunity that I had to grab with two hands, really. Yeah, incredible. Well, we're going to get stuck into all of the last two years in just a little while, but I'd love to backtrack a little bit. So okay. for you, Reid, an 11-time All-Ireland winner, business owner, teacher, uh, you know, professional sports person, um, what sort of a childhood does that girl have growing up? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the most normal rural country um, um, upbringing um, that I could have asked for. Um, so grateful that I grew up where I did grow up. Um, I grew up in Rock Chapel, which is a small village in North Cork. So it's been near Newmarket, Kenturk direction. Um, I suppose, yeah, we didn't have probably too much growing up there. Um, we had um, our sports, two sports would have been badminton and football. Um, to play football, you would generally would have had to play with the boys, which I did up until I suppose we were made to stop at under 14 level. Um, so and then I suppose we had the bog, which definitely was an institution to us all growing up. And um, we were all carted off every single summer to draw home turf for our house, for my uncle's house, for my grandparents' house. And yeah, it was kind of like a rite of passage Um, definitely made you a bit harder. Um, You know, it was just a thing that I suppose we love to do because it meant, you know, the whole family was spending so much time together every summer. And yeah, I suppose like it was just very, um, very lovely, very, um, I suppose my, both my parents were teachers. Dad was actually my uh, principal in Rock Chapel. Um, so yeah, definitely got plenty of jibes when I called him dad instead of <laughs> sir and all that type of stuff. But um, yeah, the most lovely upbringing. And I suppose I just have to, I cannot thank my parents enough for the upbringing that they gave us and, you know, the taxi service that they provided us and um, taking us here, there and everywhere when we were younger, making sure that we, you know, tried out as many sports and as many activities as possible and, and just gave us such a, a well-rounded upbringing. Mm. Was there any particular time or moment or game that you can remember where you kind of noticed your talent for sport? and thought you actually might be able to make something big of this or it was going to be quite significant in your life? Um, no, not at all. Um, I suppose I would have played, like I said, underage with the boys. And then um, we didn't have an underage team um, as such in Rock Chapel. So we had to join, or sorry, we, like I said, we were playing um, with the boys and then kind of um, a couple of the local villages all had to join together to form an underage team. And then Rock Chapel actually had an adult team. So we were a junior team. So when we were 12, uh, yeah, 12, 13, I suppose, every single one of us played with the adult team. So I suppose from a young age, that's probably something that really stood to us is that we, we're so used to playing up the grades. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's something that's not really done now anymore. And, you know, there's there's reason for that too. But I suppose um, for us playing up the grades that young, um, I suppose it definitely made you less precious and you kind of aspired to the women that you were playing with you know that were and um, the older girls in the village that were you know brilliant footballers and stuff so um I suppose I always had great role models growing up and um, from a young age and then um I suppose phenomenal teammates even when you know I was on the Cork under 14 team a lot of those girls were girls that I continued playing with even through seniors so there was a group of us that were probably very intrinsically motivated and I think when you hang around with people that are similar to you in that mindset um it definitely leads to leads to good things yeah completely so you were 15 years playing with Cork ladies wasn't it yeah I suppose yes uh, 15, 16 yeah I suppose yeah, yeah, yeah wow yeah, so. so a lot of you girls would have been going up through the ranks together as you said from under 14 right up to senior in that sense so you must have had a fierce well you must have known each other kind of inside out but a fierce sense of kind of community and camaraderie as well together 
that's it. And I suppose, um, I suppose ladies football, generally the dynamic of it was that we all came from very much rural areas and country areas. So we all had a lot in common as well, I suppose, in relation to upbringings and kind of amenities that were available to us and things like that. So, you know, football was our life, I suppose, growing up. And when we got to under 14 level, um, I suppose we just really gelled as a group. And, um, you know, we went on and won an All-Ireland um, with uh, Cork Underage, which probably, you know, hadn't been done in a while. And um, it was the start of something very good um, when that group continued to stay together. So that group continued to stay together to under 14, under 16, under 18. We won numerous All-Irelands throughout there. Um, so while that group was very, very tight, we were put together then with a cohort of older players when we got to senior level that probably wouldn't have experienced huge success, but were phenomenal role models and brilliant leaders and super footballers and probably had that massive desire that we all wanted to have as well going into senior level because Cork had never won an all, a senior All-Ireland. So there was something that was a massive challenge. And uh, Eamon Ryan came on board as our as our manager and he just had this phenomenal ability to merge the two groups together, the older group that hadn't won too much and the younger group that were very successful but needed to understand the importance of, I suppose, trying to make a big jump. So, um, yeah, it was just a, a brilliant timing, I suppose. I'm very fortunate that I was of that age group that came up at that time. And that the timing worked out well, you know. Mm, totally. And it probably made the other crew pull up their socks a little bit as well, seeing you come in and <laughs> set the standard, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so from an extremely successful career with Cork Ladies to AFL um W then, how did that whole opportunity come about, Breed? Were you always thinking in your head that it might be something? Because I know Cora was there before <laughs> you, but was it something in your head that you thought that you'd like to pursue yourself or was it presented to you? How did that whole opportunity come up? Yeah, I suppose it was it was never anything I would have ever given any thought to. Um, I suppose I had seen Cora go out and she had been very successful at it. And, you know, I was delighted for her and fair play to her. I suppose we played um, against each other for so long. And, you know, she's just such a competitive person. And to see her go out and challenge herself with a new sport was massive. And I suppose something that I definitely commended her for. But for me, I suppose it wasn't in my, um, I suppose, in my eyeline at that time. Um, mm-hmm. I had just decided to retire with Cork. Um, we had set up our business the year previous. Um, so it was very, very busy time. And I suppose once I had retired from Cork, you know, I suppose, look, we were hoping that we could start a family. And thankfully, we were blessed with a, with a little boy. Um, so it was very, very busy time for me at, the, at, at that time. Um, mm-hmm. The business, I suppose, and... Um, my family were priority number one. I had given so much time to Cork football. And I think when you're inside in, in that bubble, you don't realise how much of a bubble it is until you actually come out of it. And I realised just how much time and effort I was committing to it. And, you know, it was important now to make sure that my family was number one and, you know, just to see what other, um, I suppose, work opportunities I could explore. So they were my two priorities really at that time. Um. So, yeah, I, I suppose I didn't give it much thought. And um, Cora had been on to me and she was like, you know, would you ever think about it? And I was like, no, and grand, won't think about it. And um, she said she had spoken to the head coach, Alan McConnell, about me so that he might be in contact. So I was like, OK, no problem. Um, and actually, at the time, I was I, I was pregnant at the time. Um, so it wasn't in my mindset at all because, you know, I was a first time mom. I was like, oh, God, what am I yeah. doing? Um 
So Alan anyway got in contact with me and yeah, he's a very persuasive man and he was just absolutely lovely on the phone. And there was something about him when I was speaking to him, he actually reminded me so much of Eamon Ryan um, just mm-hmm. in the way he he was and the way he communicated with me and, you know, basically what he sold me. Um, so I definitely told him, look, I'll I'll have a think about it. But my number one priority is obviously um, my a healthy, happy baby, hopefully, and that everything would go right. And I, I couldn't predict what was going to happen afterwards because, you know, you just don't know how the body would hold up. You don't know if you might have a colicky baby, if there's anything like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, so thankfully I was able to train throughout my pregnancy and um, I had, thankfully, a healthy, happy Cora Cog, um, which was wonderful. And um, yeah, thankfully, look, the labour as labour as wind didn't go as horrendous as I thought it was going to. <laughs> so um, I was able to kind of get back training, um, I suppose, wow. a couple of weeks afterwards, which was, look, I, everything was, I suppose, was a little bit of a bonus. And I didn't put too much pressure on myself. But at the same time, I... I was listening to my body and felt felt good. So I said, look, I'll go back to the gym and see how I felt. And um, after a couple of months, and I suppose a couple of months of trying to understand Cork Oak as well, I felt, you know, look, maybe this is something viable. It wasn't until kind of the following year that I would have to go over. So I said, look, I'm just going to put my name into the hat for it. And if it comes out, great. If not, don't worry about it. So um, that's what happened. And then I suppose what happened was, Myself, Cork and Cork Oak, and um, when Cork Oak was um, just gone one years of age, we um, took off to Australia to Sydney and um, the three of us and started a wonderful adventure, you know. So. Wow, what a big change. And not only was it normal terms, but also during COVID because you had to isolate on two occasions, was it in the in the yeah. hotels? Yeah. Massive uncertainty yeah. there. So for you, what emotions were you feeling or how did you feel? Were you anxious or excited or nervous what was kind of coming up for you? Yeah, definitely a mix of all of those. Um, I suppose, yeah, we had gone through already a lockdown when Cork Oak was younger. Um, so there was, you know, big spells where we didn't see family. So that was massively weighing on me that, you know, when things opened back up, you know, I was now going off and I suppose, um, you know, I, I was very, very conscious about grandparents not seeing mm-hmm. Cork Oak and the kind of all of us kind of taking this big, this big risk. Um, I didn't know the sport. I had only kind of watched watched it here and there. I had done as much training as I could here, but it wasn't going to be at the level probably, you know, that was over. So, um, yeah, there was plenty of things running through my head. Um, I probably went over, you know, the fittest I've been in, you know, probably seven or eight years because of of that worry of, of, of I suppose, the skill set things. So I said, look, if I can control the skill and the game and things like that, at least I can control my fitness and I can control how strong I am. Um, so that was something I suppose that I kind of zoned in on. Um, and yeah, I suppose just making sure that I was contributing in the WhatsApp group and things like that. So girls got to know me a bit more and that they could kind of rapport with me before I actually met them. Um, and then I suppose when we did get over to Australia, we had to quarantine in Perth the first time. And, you know, I just saw how wonderful the teammates were. They were sending us so much like little care packages and constantly Uh checking in on us. And um, yeah, it was wonderful. I just felt a a real connection, I suppose, with the group before I ever got there. And um, yeah, thankfully, I suppose when we got there, then, you know, it was we went into a hub situation, which meant that we all had to live together for two weeks. So for me, it was probably the best situation ever. I know probably lots of the Australian girls didn't like it because they were away (laughs) from home for two weeks and trying to start out work. But for me, I just adored it because it meant that I got to know these girls one on one 
and we became like great friends very early on. Uh, that's so true, actually. Yeah, you just got to get that opportunity to spend as much time as possible and kind of speed yeah. up the, the whole process at the start. Exactly. So that's so admirable, Brie, to hear that like you were your fittest or your best physically, even, you know, straight after having um, Cora Gog and, you know, the fittest you'd been in maybe seven or eight years. So that's one thing that strikes me is you're a woman who always kind of prioritizes your still your personal goals because a lot of ladies I'd work with their moms and they they all say to me like they kind of maybe parked their own needs aside or that they felt they kind of sacrificed their own personal goals and fulfillment for their for their kids it happens an awful lot so was that like a conscious decision that you made in becoming a mom that you were still going to you know fill up your own cup and do what you want to do for your career or how did that kind of happen I suppose um, well, I think like before you have kids, you kind of have this idyllic um, notion that, you know, you're going to be able to balance it all. And I certainly, you know, that's not the case for me either. And if it appears like that from the outside, I don't know <laughs> what, what tricking trick I'm doing. But um, like there was an awful amount of effort that needed to go into that. But it, it came off the back of having huge, huge support. And like, mm. there is no way on God earth, on God's earth that I would have been able mm. to do any of that without, number one, I suppose my husband was probably the real one that was pushing me to do it. Really? Like he said, mm. look, it's a wonderful opportunity. Let's try to do it. And I suppose I, you know, from the second car Cole was born, he is your number one priority. And, you know, like you can kind of go off and yes, go, oh, I want to do this goal. But your mind is constantly full of, What's he doing? When's the last time he ate? What will I get him now? Mm. Did he go for a bath? Like all this, like he does not leave your mind ever. So I can completely empathize with anyone that is um, a new parent um, or a parent of, of multiple kids. They're never, ever, ever far from your head. So it's very hard to, to, to do that prioritizing unless you have a wonderful support system that are so supportive and um, that can give you the means to do that. So like most days, um Karak Og um might go over to the unit with Karak for like an hour or two while I went to the gym. Um mom and dad might come up, Karak's parents might come up. There was always someone available to help me make sure that I got to the gym and do that. Mm. So because some days there were days I was like, I can't leave him, I can't do this, but I had plenty of people that understood this is something maybe that would be excellent for Breed and her family. And mm. let's um, all, I suppose, kind of row in. So without those people helping me, I would have found it very difficult, but they also gave me an added motivation. They were giving me the tools to go, right, okay, look, I can do this. And he's very safe and he's very well looked after. And um, yeah, so that that's really kind of how it came about. Um, but even, it was funny, like, you know, I've, I've done two stints in Australia and the first year, um, I suppose when I did get injured in the first year, I found it more obviously of a mental turmoil um, for mm-hmm. myself personally, because um, I had done all this in the build up to getting over there. And then obviously I had a different challenge presented to me when I went over there. Whereas the second year I found the physical balancing and juggling of motherhood and I suppose playing and everything. I found that so, so hard. Um, so while on the outside, it looks like, you know, you're trying to balance it all. Like there's so much juggling that is required. And some days you've shit days, like you really do like where you think you're, um, not being competent at things. And then other days you're kind of going, Oh, today worked out, you know, great, (laughs) like, you know, but, um, yeah, so it's a big juggling act big time. So, um, but I suppose, look, I would be very much a person that, yes, I would be very goal driven and I do set myself kind of short term goals. And I suppose 
you know, the long term goal that I set there for myself was like, I'll give it a chance for one mm. six months. So I knew what I was doing for six months and I was going to give it my all for six months. So I would be very much like that in terms of I have a goal, but I can't look too far past that because, um, yeah, I suppose uh, you don't know what's around the corner. And um, I suppose w- with a child, you know, they're your number one priority. So while I do set goals, they're never too far down the line is kind of what I'm I trying get to you. Yeah. Yeah. And even, as you said, not to look too far ahead because, you know, pre-season you had the injury, yeah. you 100%. broke your neck, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was reading. I think, yeah. yeah. I, I think even that injury, like I've never, ever been injured before. So like, I think even that has shifted before. I probably would have been a long-term plan kind of girl. Mm. Whereas that whole injury and that whole experience definitely brought it back to kind of, um, yeah, like setting smaller goals for myself and kind of smaller, realistic kind of short term goals. Um, and also, I suppose the biggest thing was like understanding how busy a life I have probably had up to that point and realizing, you know, that, OK, you really do have to stop and smell the roses every now mm-hmm. and again. So definitely made me become a lot more present um, because maybe before that I was uh, sometimes like, you know, probably I was always a very busy person, like I always had a very full days um and not out of anything but just kind of taking on too much nearly whereas now I'm very much of the belief I have to stop and smell the roses and appreciate every day for what it is because you don't know what's ahead like you know so mm-hmm. um I suppose yeah that was um definitely um a very tough experience and one I hadn't um preempted obviously um going over but look it happened and I suppose when it did happen I was very grateful of the hub situation because as I said, it meant that I was in a, a hub with girls that I didn't know, but I got to know them. I probably fast tracked my relationship with them in that two weeks. Mm. And then unfortunately after two weeks, I had to rely on them so heavily um, because I needed them to look after Cork Oak. Like I had, like I, I had to go into the hospital, I suppose for a full day, Cork was in with me for the full day. Uh, Cora came in, you know, towards the evening. So while I knew Cora I and I trusted her, I didn't know a lot of these girls, but I had to trust them very early on to look after Cora Gog, you know, especially that first night. So I cannot thank them enough for the love and support that they gave my family that first day, you know, when we were so far away from home. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It must have been so scary. Like I was reading, you know, becoming, you were very, very close to paralysis, wasn't it? And the surgeon yeah. was like, you probably won't play sport. Like, yeah. To hear that, that must have been devastating. So how do you, like, you must have had a really strong mindset or a positive mindset around the whole thing. Or was there anyone who kind of helped you? Obviously, Cora was probably, you know, keeping things positive for you and helping you along. But how do you get through that mindset wise? Yeah. um, So, yeah, definitely was a very, very scary time. Um, And like that, I suppose, you know, while sport was such an integral part of my life for so many years, like for so many decades, you know, when you hear that, I suppose the first thing that came to my head was like, you know, was Cork Oak, like, you know, that I wouldn't be able to play with him. You know, that was probably the biggest thing that kind of got me. Whereas like, I suppose, um, as it went on, as the days went on, you know, um, the first couple of days were horrendous in terms of like mindset. They were very, very bad. But, um, <laughs> sorry, you're the upset. <laughs> yeah, no, of course. It's completely normal to be emotional about it because it was such a big massive thing for you you know it was huge yeah but 
when I mean, you're so far from home as well. That's what I found when I was living in Australia, that any little thing you had going on was just magnified because you didn't have your home support. Um, you know, you didn't have the the comforts of home because as you said there, you don't actually realize how much support you have at home in Ireland and, and even everyone in your, yeah, yeah oh, in your village, in your community. Yeah. And then you fly to the other end of the world. And unless you have a good network, like the girls I was living with in the house, we were all like a family. Yeah. Like we were each other's family essentially for yes. the three years, you know, because I suppose it's so important to have that support. And uh, it can be a lonely place when, well, particularly when anything traumatic happens like that breed as well. Yeah, big time. And um, I suppose, yeah, like the, like I said, the first couple of days were very difficult. I think they were probably even more difficult for mom and dad at home. Um, and mm. my sister, and my brother, obviously, because, you know, they were completely helpless. So they were relying on Cork and Cora, I suppose, to keep them updated mm. um, as much as possible. Um, and I suppose, yeah, that was probably just a massive guilt that I had because I had assured them going over, I'd be fine. Like, you know, yeah. it's just a variation <laughs> of football. <laughs> and, um, you know, I suppose that was probably something that I found very hard the first couple of days was, um, just I suppose the guilt the guilt for them mm, yeah. yeah so it's a difficult but then I suppose after the initial couple of days when thankfully I suppose I understood that I was safe and nothing you know I suppose um you know really really um life-changing could have happened to to me I suppose um I suppose my my mindset definitely shifted to I need to have a small goal for this week so like mm. I said that was probably the real instigator of where I became a short term goal kind of person. Um, so for that week, um, my goal was um, to fill, a, I suppose I filled a, a, a litre bottle of water or whatever it was. And I just began doing like arm raises with that um, because what happened was I um, also had a heavily impacted nerve damage on my right arm which meant that my right arm had absolutely no power when I was coming down in this motion. Um, and look, it didn't come back for months. I, I wasn't sure when it would come back. Um, so that was probably very scary as well. But I knew that if I worked on my left hand, that there might be some kind of crossover. And I did as much as I could at my right hand in that first week. So that was my focus for that week. It was just to you know try to maintain even a small little bit of movement. Um, and I did that. And then I worked with the physios and I was like, right, what's my goal for the following week? And what's my goal for the following week after that? And I did that week on week for the first three weeks. Mm. Um, and I think having just those short term goals for the first couple of weeks really gave me a purpose um, mm. because the girls were obviously tuning into first round of the season, which came about two weeks after I did my injury. So I oh. needed my own little goals. And um, I suppose like without question, the greatest thing that got me out of that was Cork Oak, like without question, because every morning he was like, right, I don't care if you're injured or not. I need to be fed. I need to get out. I need to go to the playground. So it didn't matter. Like he didn't care at one stage, you know, if I was injured or not. I was mm. still mammy, but I still needed to be active mammy. Um, mm. So like him and I suppose having like little short term goals for myself were just like vital for me, mm. kind of getting up and getting out and um, not feeling sorry for myself, I suppose, was the big thing. I needed to have goals and I needed to have something to strive towards. Um, because if I didn't have something to strive towards in those first couple of weeks, I could have easily gone, just put me on a plane and put me home. Yeah. I needed something to strive for. Um, that's always the way I've been. I need I need something, I suppose, 
um, you know, that sets me alight. And that did kind of um, intrigue me that I wanted to see after the first four weeks, I suppose I want to see, right, what can I improve now in the next couple of weeks? And it's all about progress. Um, you know, I suppose at that time, like my weakness, um, my weakness was um, obviously um, movement in my neck and my weakness was um, my arm that wasn't really at full function. So for me, like um, working on working on your weakness reduces the fear of it. Yeah, um, and that true. goes for absolutely anything. Um, so I just think like it's hard to fear a weakness if you work on it and, you know, if you're making progress on it, no matter how small. So like that goes for everything. Like, you know, if, if I had a fear of public speaking, if I, you know, anything like that, if I work small bit on it, it becomes less daunting. So mm. every week when I started working more on my arm and I started working more on my neck strength and I probably was a bit rogue as well you know as the time went on I was being told to leave on this neck brace but I was being told that I had a very stable fracture and you know I was contacting other people at home that I knew that were you know very very um I suppose competent in this area so there were times where I was taking off the neck brace for an hour just to make sure that I was getting a bit more stability in my neck yeah um whereas like if if someone in the giants knew that like they would have lifted me like you know yeah but, um I suppose yeah, I was just always trying to just see that incremental improvement. And um, I suppose you don't fear kind of what you're prepared for is kind of what I'm saying. Like, so no matter so what true. it is, the more prepared you are, the less you fear it. So, so true. Yeah. When you take action against something, it kind of melts away the anxiety and just because you're being actionable, yeah. like you're yeah. you're not a, a victim or a bystander anymore. You're yeah. in the driver's seat kind of a thing. Exactly. But yeah. do you think uh, and taking off the neck brace to work on the tan as well, probably? <laughs> Oh, the tan was not. Oh my God, there was just an absolute white line all the way around me. Yeah, but uh, oh yeah, gosh. Gosh, yeah. But do you think, having been in a professional setting, when that happened to, um, that it was like not bashing amateur by any means, because obviously the GA and everything is so, and you probably have um, pros and cons to both. But when the injury happened, that you were in the best possible place to make a good recovery out of it because you were in the professional setting. 100% and also I was in an Australian setting um mm. like I have never come across a healthcare system like the Australian healthcare no. system they're like, amazing aren't they unbelievable I yeah. went in like that match was on early so I was in I suppose I was in at around maybe one o'clock and by 10 o'clock I'd say that night they had released me to go home and that was a massive fear because I had never spent a night away from Cork Oak. Um, I was currently breastfeeding him as well at the time. So I was very, mm. very conscious of him being away from me for the day. Um, so that was that was a, a fear in itself. But when I went in the door there, the straight away, there must have been five different surgeons, I suppose, um, came down. The room was full. There was, right, we're going to do this scan, this scan, this scan. Um, the re results were back, what seemed like immediately. There didn't seem to be as much waiting around at all they were constantly reassuring me constantly giving me information like the levels of communication were unbelievable mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and you know while it started off extremely scary in the first couple of hours and the diagnosis wasn't good in the first couple of hours the second that they had you know more information they kept feeding it to me so mm -hmm. all the way throughout that day I was getting drip fed like important information but like just their delivery, everything was unbelievable. And thankfully, by 10 o'clock that night, they had completely assessed everything, knowing that 
right? It's a very stable fracture. So she can go home with this neck brace on. Um, and obviously then they put me in touch with the most unbelievable surgeon in Adelaide because we were there for another two weeks. So I met him again the following week. After that, I was put in touch with the best surgeon in Sydney, like everything. Oh. But I, I like that's what, that's what I mean. Like the professional environment led to all of that. So while the healthcare system is unbelievable, it was the giants that took it on then from Adelaide, from that um, hospital in Adelaide, that I, I suppose propelled it to, to be the recovery that it was because I never had to organize a single visit um, to any doctor. I never had to organize any scan. If I wanted a scan to see how an update was going, I was given a scan, no problem. Like everything was just at your fingertips. So mm. the professional environment was just second to none in terms of that side of my recovery. So like the rest of it was up to me then and my mindset and to drive things forward as much as I could. But I knew that I had wonderful, wonderful resources at my fingertips due to their professional environment. Mm, and that reassurance is worth its weight in gold, sure, when you're trying to keep the positive mindset and, you know, obviously train, get back to full health and fitness. And I remember watching the video of you being selected for the first okay. game right <laughs> I swear to God I was at home crying breed I was so emotional watching it honestly I know. it was such I can't even imagine how you felt like having gone through all of that yeah like going over in the first place crikey and then to have that little road bump massive roadblock probably yeah. um and then to get yourself back on your feet and to have the the bravery honestly to go back out there again and put yourself out there for more of it probably how did that yeah. feel um yeah I suppose like when I came home after the first year it was probably only until I came home that I really had to sit with myself and realize I suppose everything that had happened and it was probably the first time that it actually really sunk in that what could have happened I probably never allowed my mind to go there for too long when I was over in Australia and I think when you're in the professional environment as well you're constantly going, you're fully immersed in it. So I was constantly like going, all right, the girl's going into a meeting here in the back line. I want to go in and see what's going on. Like, you know, so I was fully immersed in that. So I didn't probably allow myself to sit with myself for too long when I was over there. Whereas when I came home, I had mom and dad coming up going, right, we're taking Cork Oak off for the day. Um, mm -hmm. I had, you know, Cork's um, brilliant parents doing the same. So I had a bit more time to myself and it was probably the first time that I sat in myself and reflected on what had happened. And yeah, I actually, I had to go talk to someone because I had like just an overwhelming feeling of failure, I suppose, when I came home, which didn't sit right with me because, you know, um, I suppose I had put so much on the line and then I had done so much to come back out of that. Um, so I was kind of like, geez, why am I feeling like this? You know, why am I um, probably, you know, going down on myself a little bit, but um, mm. I suppose, look, thankfully throughout my career, I've probably had huge success. So this was the first time that I really had to hit something head on myself, you know? So it was something that I, only I could bring myself out of. And um, yeah, I suppose I, I would be a very ambitious person and I do relish a challenge. So um, for me, it was very much unfinished business. And I suppose that's what I was trying to deal with when I came home was the unfinished business part of it. So um yeah, I suppose I had made the decision that I wanted to go back. I made sure that I went back a stronger specimen while I was extremely aerobically fit going over the first year. I made sure that I was very, very physically strong going over the second year. And yeah, thankfully, um, I got my debut, which was absolutely wonderful and was one of the most 
memorable experiences that I've ever had. I suppose in GA, you don't have that big spectacle of yeah. big announcement when you're kind of getting your debut. It's kind of like you got the nod and you're like, thank God, like, you know, yeah. I got in and <laughs> you can't hear anyone else's name once your own name was called because you're like um, hoping that you made the cut. Whereas over there, they do, in fairness, make a lovely, um, I suppose, big deal of your of yeah. your debut, which is which is really special and something I'll definitely treasure. And thankfully went on to play all 10 games and um, had injuries here and there, but nothing that I wasn't able to kind of push through, which was great. And uh, yeah, was was delighted to come home having played all 10 games. So definitely a much, I suppose, um, a much more fulfilled experience this year, definitely. Oh, completely. It'd been such a pity to like leave it at that. I'd say you wouldn't have anyway. You couldn't, you know, having retired from Cork and then having gone out there to kind of cap it off yes. to leave it at that would have been very uh, disappointing and maybe kind of left a bit of a bitter taste in your mouth. But yeah. um, so well done. Like that was so brave. Like honestly, it was a big, a big thing to do. And probably was it like another stint as well that you weren't maybe expecting to be in Australia for maybe that I was kind of tacked on? Yeah, definitely not. Um, I suppose going over the first year, I had always said to myself, I'd said to my family that this is just a one-time thing. I'm just going over now for the six-month spell and that was it. And I suppose then, you know, as it transpired the way that it did, you know, I suppose I felt I definitely couldn't leave it like that. So mm. then it added on another year um, onto the experience, I suppose, that I had always said was just going to be a six-month thing. So um, yeah, it's funny how it kind of creeps up on you and <coughs> I suppose you know while I'd love to extend my family and everything you know I had to put that on hold as well for a little bit but um mm-hmm. that was a decision that we that we made and you know we're we're so glad that we did go over and give it another shot you know mm. do you ever battle breed with you know because you took a career break from your teaching career wasn't it yeah uh, yeah yeah so yeah. I took a career break I suppose the year the year before Carco was born, actually, um, just to develop the business a bit more. So uh, there's four of us involved in the business and um, myself, mm-hmm. Cork and his two brothers. All four of us are teachers. Um, so what was happening is that we were going teaching. Um, and then I suppose when the business was in its infancy, we were coming home and turning into hours of work. So putting up. So sorry, the business is um, my core supplements. It's a sports mm-hmm. supplements and health supplements business. Um, we would have gone into gym ex- or gym equipment as well during the lockdowns, which um, proved to be great, which was mighty. But um, I suppose in, in its infancy, we had a lot of work to do in getting the website up and, you know, getting out the minimal orders. I'd say I'd say there was like days where you <laughs> might only have like three or four orders in the day, like if even and you're yeah. like, yes, yeah, <laughs> you know, when it's in a real infancy. But I suppose the amount of work that you had to put in to make sure that, you know, marketing was going well and um yeah just getting all the products up and things like that was there was huge amounts of hours that went in when we came home from school so we did that for a full year and then the second year you know we said look we could really try to drive this forward and I decided look I was going to take career break now I did want to kind of explore another little bit of study and I did that actually as well during um that year so it wasn't all for the business um I definitely took a year a, a study year as well which was great and um, then I found out at the end of that year that I was expecting Cara Gogue. So as it happened, I went back to my principal. I'd say it was fit to kill me. I was like, bye, bye. <laughs> uh, I'm looking for maternity leave. And uh, then I suppose, look, what happened after that was I had to ask for a career break because um, we were going to Australia. So I actually haven't thought now in four years, um, wow. which is mad because, yeah, I suppose I 
even when I was a young girl, I just loved the idea of being a PE teacher. Um, so PE and maths are, are my two subjects. And I just absolutely adored it. I loved it for, uh, I suppose, 11 years. Yeah, I taught for 11 years and absolutely loved it. And uh, I suppose, you know, the fact that we're all teachers um, and the fact that I was able to take a career break and Cork actually has since taken a career break as well for the last two years. Um, I suppose it's a measured risk in a way because we always have teaching. Um, mm. And, you know, it's something that I can definitely see myself going back to as well. Um, That's what I was going to ask. Yeah, I was like, would you? Because I hear it all the time. Um, you know, from maybe family or friends or whatever that I haven't seen in a while. I was like, will you ever go back to the teaching? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm the not too sure. Job. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So yeah. For you, would there be any part of you, like, because I know with running a business, it is definitely that challenge and it's that kind of like excitement, I suppose, you know? So yeah. having gotten a little taster now of running the business and having a little bit more freedom and being your own boss and things, yes. is there any part of you that might say, mm, this is actually quite lovely as opposed to going back to the, the teaching or the nine to five? It is, and it's actually funny. I was only um, speaking to one of my teacher friends there. She actually came over to the unit. Um, so, well, we call it a unit. It's kind of like there is a shop front there, um, but it would be where a lot of our stock is. Um, so it's kind of a walk-in. You can still come in and buy um, mm. stuff. So, um, yeah, I was chatting to her, and I was like, Do you know, um, while it's a long day over in the unit, it's just, um, it's, a, it's not stressful. Like, it's... Mm. Um, it's a really enjoyable day, but you still have that lovely contact with customers that come in. Yeah. So you still have that, um, I suppose, that kind of um, relationship when people come in the door. And that's probably the one thing that I really miss from teaching is the relationship. Um, mm. I would have always um, had super relationships with all my students and I suppose with my teaching colleagues as well. So, um, you know, that would be the one thing that I would have been nervous about going into business is that I would miss that relationship aspect Whereas I suppose with four of us involved, we also have a full-time, um, we have a full-time employer, a full-time employee, sorry. And we have kind of two part-time employees. Um, so there's always a buzz like over at the yeah. unit, which I absolutely love. Um, yeah. And I suppose, yeah, look, there isn't that stress. I suppose, look, there isn't that stress that, that is associated with teaching, teaching um, while it's a especially at the moment. Um, and I suppose, you know, thinking about, you know, I had, I used to have like a 40 minute class full of uh, 30 kids. Then you go straight to another 40 minute class full of kids, another 40 minute class full of kids. Mm. Like it was nonstop. You never had a little bit of time to, to charge down a small bit. Whereas over in the unit, I have Cork Oak running around me, handing me up oh. little tubs of protein. Oh. And like, that. like, you know, so there's, there's a lovely, there is a lovely um, aspect to it. But um, obviously look, you're, you have to weigh it all up. You're sacrificing a, a constant wage coming in, obviously, the whole time. And um, yeah, look, I, it's something I definitely can imagine. I will go back teaching in time. Brilliant. But for now, I'm absolutely loving being involved in, in our business, you know. Oh, yeah, it's great. As I said, and, and that's the point, like people think teachers have a, a great time, like the three months holidays, this and that. No, but when you're working, you're bloody working hard. Like oh, it is as very, said, very tough. Yeah. 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 It is. And well, what I was more so like, I think o- over the last couple of years, you know, just even speak to my friends, it's definitely been very very trying time for teachers you know yeah completely you got out a good time <laughs> yeah see you later <laughs> you, you can work with the pandemic there lads i'll be back in a few years <laughs> but um what i was going to ask you Reed, was it doesn't seem like it but again a front can be another thing but have you ever or do you ever struggle with self-doubt or a little bit of uncertainty or are you just someone who's like backs yourself like you seem very self-confident and kind of 
I suppose, confident in your own abilities and making your own decisions and kind of seeing them through? Um, I like, I, I suppose I know what I'm capable of, but um, would I be the most self-confident person? No, definitely not. Um, I know that my biggest strength is working in a team. 100%. I know that for an absolute fact. Um, mm-hmm. I've known it since I was younger. Um, I would have played badminton as well at a very, very high level, um, which would be obviously an individual sport. I would have played singles and I would have played doubles, but um, I definitely felt always a bigger draw to the football and purely, obviously, I love the sport very much, but I just loved the team environment. And even Mm. now I'm in a working environment where it's a team environment. I didn't take that risk on my own. If you get me, like I went in with three people that I trust implicitly. Um, So I suppose I know my limitations um, and I know kind of where I can thrive um, so that's probably a big thing. Um, I've definitely made plenty, plenty of mistakes. I've taken chances that haven't worked out. Um, really? Like what? <laughs> like I, I suppose, yeah, put yourself like, I suppose thinking, so like getting a couple of opportunities um, given to you and going, yeah, without even thinking about them and kind of oh. saying, oh, I'll think about them later. Whereas mm-hmm. like when it came to later, I was like, geez, I, I'm a bit out of my depth here. Like, you know, really? um, and trying my best to wade through things but kind of knowing that it wasn't the most working. situation for me, like, you know, so mm. I know where I'm comfortable. I know, I certainly know where I'm not comfortable. Um, but I definitely, it, it would be something I would have to work on a lot. I'd always have to have little kind of chats with my mother, chats with my sister, my friends, you know, kind of going, she's like, um, yeah, like I suppose I try, I suppose even since the whole injury thing, I try to, not way on mistakes like that's probably the biggest thing I've learned like you know because maybe before I was a complete perfectionist like complete like as in to my detriment I would have been very much like that whereas now I'm like you know um like there's a quote actually I just I loved it and it's like the greatest risk is not taking a risk like I absolutely adore that quote like and I'm so so glad I went to Australia and I know it didn't work out the first time but what I took from that whole experience is something that I probably might not have ever gotten if I had just kept going with like these kind of highs of success because I had highs of success with Cork and I suppose mm-hmm. I never experienced like, you know, a real, real bad low. And if it was, it was always in a team environment. So for me to experience, I suppose, a, a real low on my own was I think very, very important for my growth. You know, that's huge so, for your growth. Yeah, it's only yeah. when you get into the the trenches like into the into the shit show where you really yeah. kind of I suppose develop and, and you're forced to be uncomfortable and like as you said it's probably the best one of the best things that's happened to you now because you're better as a person because of it yeah definitely and I think it has definitely made me realize that my relationship with failure um and my relationship with making mistakes is so important you know to just be able to go yeah look that happened be able to park it a little bit quicker than I might have been able to do it in the past and see that it's an area for growth and an area for development. And I think that then propels you to more success, you know, that you might not see at the moment, but like it does, it does propel you going forward. Because like I said, maybe before I might have been a bit kind of flippant going into things, whereas now I feel I go in with a lot more kind of assuredness of myself or or knowing that like, right, that isn't for me. And not just doing it for the sake of doing it, you know, saying, right, look, that's not for me. That's not where I'm most comfortable. That's not where I might 
get further growth from, you know? So. Yeah. Well, if you manage to get through that girl and the last <laughs> two years <laughs> in Australia and a pandemic and an injury and everything, I'm sure whatever comes after this now would probably be a piece of cake for you. Crikey. Oh, but yeah, no, um, not at all. But I think like pressure is good. Like, and I, yeah. th- I do think it's important to walk a bit towards pressure. Like I, I do, I do like pressure. I like challenges. I think my mother sometimes would be shaking her head at me going, you know, I can relate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like what, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, you know, why are you putting yourself under this pressure? But, um, I do think I, I, I like pushing myself out of my comfort zone. I think it's very, very important for people to push themselves out of their comfort zone every now and again, not all the time, but every now and again, um, and just get that little bit more growth, um, out of yourself as you go along, you know? Yeah, the mammies are a good barometer. I was only laughing with a colleague the other day. He's training for, I think it's a photo shoot or something. And I was like, Jesus Lee, you're getting pretty like skeleton. Like he was like, oh, my mother is uh, not too worried yet. So I need to get to that point first and then I'll know I'm on the right track. <laughs> I know that I'm really, really after cutting when the mother is like, here, have another spud. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the the barometer for us. If we know the mammies are worried, we're on the right track and stretching the old growth. So exactly. Um, exactly yeah. But anyway, Breed, to wrap up, who has seen as you're on the Inspired Podcast? Who has or does inspire you? <laughs> well, it's actually funny, like um, like while I have like the most wonderful teammates and I've had huge experiences with them and you know, wonderful coaches and family and friends. Um, like I've spoken about her a couple of times now, but it is my mother. Like really? she is just, Aww. yeah, she is just my absolute rock. Um, she, I suppose, is just the epitome of hard work and resilience. So, you know, while, um, you know, I, I got met with kind of a, a tough situation. I definitely think like looking at her for, for years and her resilience always at like just powering through. She's such a doer. She's mm. just a really proactive and practical person. And I think, you know, she doesn't procrastinate. And I think at a time, you know, where you're kind of without her constantly, you know, on your shoulder. Um, when I was over in Australia, I definitely was kind of like, right, what would Liz Stack do now? Liz Stack would be like, <laughs> she definitely wouldn't be sitting kind of Go feeling ahead. sorry for herself. Like, yeah. So she's definitely like my massive inspiration, 100 percent And mm. um, I think she also has taught me the importance of really meaningful relationships. Um, so I think that's just vital for any person going forward is just understanding, you know, who is, you know, who's always going to be there for you and just how meaningful those relationships can be and to develop them and to make sure that you always kind of foster them as best you can. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. The Irish mammies are like a different breed, aren't they? Like I think it's my own mother. And I think I don't know, like the, yeah. yeah, the upbringing they had, I suppose maybe they had they had a tough like but geez did, there's, yeah. some women, there's some women to go aren't they <laughs> some women to go like and even mom mom lost her own mom like when she was young and she'd take oh, over boy. like reign at the whole household and raise like all her brothers and everything like that so I just think like there's just a not a tough not a hardness or a toughness it's just like this resilience that just resilience. shines out of Irish mammies yeah. it's just yeah. like nothing else and um yeah I suppose like there's just a contentment as well like I don't know what it is about Irish families, but they just seem very, very content. Like I know my mother is. And I just think that's a wonderful quality to have. It's just mm. this, uh, you know, a real sense of self and a real sense of contentment. Totally. Yeah. It probably comes with a bit of age as well, you know, as you get yeah, older sure and life does. experience. Hopefully, <laughs> Hopefully we'll get there we'll soon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, Breed. We'll see we'll never come our way, girl. Um, what would you tell your younger self? Um, so I thought about this now. This is definitely a threefold answer. Uh, the first 
part of uh, first thing I would tell my younger self is to definitely not iron your hair using an iron <laughs> ironing board to straighten your hair because you would oh. actually destroy it. I did it for years and Stop. like, oh, she was fairly crispy there. And like when we were in our <laughs> late teens. So uh, yeah, definitely, definitely look after the hair a bit more. Um, oh, stop it. Number two, I suppose, and it's probably something that you you know from a young age, but you don't probably understand until you're a bit older, is just to always trust your gut. Like mm. even when I was younger, you know who you are most comfortable around. You know who kind of makes you feel very um, confident and who makes you feel very comfortable. You know those who do the opposite. You also know kind of what situations kind of bring out most happiness in yourself and most contentment um, where you're not on edge. So I just think it's very important to always trust your gut. Um, it generally won't lead you too far astray. And it's usually, you know, your gut instinct is usually, you know, the right instinct at the end of the day. Um, so that's probably the second thing I would I would tell my younger self. And the third thing I would definitely tell my younger self um, is to, you know, always believe that there are better days ahead. Um, I think when we're younger, we're so tuned into wanting to grow up and wanting to have it all understood and, you know, have mm. it all worked out. And I think even, you know, even though I'm very old, um, I'm still making so many mistakes and I'm still working things out. So, you know, you always have to believe that there are better days ahead. And I think probably last year um, the whole injury thing definitely propelled me towards that way of thinking a lot more. Um and like I said earlier, you know, my relationship with mistakes and making mistakes, it's OK to make mistakes and mm. just, I suppose, to learn from them. So, um, yeah, they'd be my three pieces of, of things. I suppose the two most important ones definitely is to always trust your gut and to always believe that there are better days ahead because there are. There's so many great mm. days ahead. Yeah. Breed, I've absolutely loved this conversation, girl. Honestly, you're just so insightful, so inspiring. And when I was actually thinking of coming up with the whole theory or the idea of the podcast, I was like, I know straight off the bat who I want to have in this podcast and that was yourself <laughs> first name I wrote oh. down literally um so thanks so much for for coming on for the chats and for giving up your Sunday morning no <laughs> and- sorry for being a ball of emotion I don't know where like <laughs> I I'm like I'm I'm grand talking about it every now and again and then every one out of maybe five times it'll just get me like you know so. yeah not Damn at all. You Ash. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. That's and look, I always say to people if they, you know, because in my line of work as well, sometimes when I talk to people or whatever, they get emotional. But I'm I'm always thinking emotion is good, feelings are good because that means you care and it's meaningful to you, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. breed girl, thanks so much and have no a matter. lovely best luck with your match. Ah, oh, thanks. <laughs> we'll lead it. There's a bit of timber and there's plenty of black smoke, so I'll lead all <laughs> of it later on. Thanks, William. Thanks, William Breed. Okay. Cheers, girl. Bye bye.